0: All right, everyone, welcome back to uh, Cranked and Ranked. This is episode two of our Slayer. Uh, discography ranking um hopefully you listened to part one first and are now joining us over here if for some reason you wanted to skip ahead to the top six albums and you're new to this thing uh i'm steven and uh my friend eddie and i rank rock and metal related things bands discographies and whatnot um and uh this is this is it. <laughs> you're you're listening to it, um, and uh, I, this is like the worst intro I think I've ever done. Um nah, it's, it's it's all good. It's all good just, so uh, they, they don't know it yet. Uh, it's, yeah. all, it's all good. Obviously, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Maybe the intro is not meant to be, and we should just jump right in. So last time we uh, we ranked. Uh, we're doing all the full length Slayer releases. And we did 12 through seven last time. And so now we are doing six through numero uno, as they say in certain areas of the world. Um, so uh, as usual, I'm going to let my friend Eddie Sparks go first. If you want to say a few words before you start, please be, be my guest. But uh, let's let's get into your number six.
1: Okay, cool. I, I wanted to mention as well, um, I recently went back and I know we haven't included it in this list. But um, I checked out um, "Haunting the Chapel," yeah. which is like, you know, it's 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 four studio tracks and uh, mostly a live album. But um, the song "Chemical Warfare" from um, that album was on this again, you know, generational comment. That song was on Guitar Hero: Warriors of Rock, and that. Playing that on the drum beat that on the drum kit, sorry, taught me how to do the Slayer beat oh, okay. on, on drums. Yeah. So yeah, that was um that was a fun little um I always I had no idea that he was like this was one of the first things that blew my mind about Slayer was how fast the hi hat notes were. Yeah. So when I saw this like flurry of like little yellow circles coming down that grid, I just thought, <laughs> holy fuck. You know, I was I was under the impression that he was just like alternating between the um right and left when an actual fact now it's just like a constant and that was um that was a big crash course into thrash drumming
0: yeah and when that, that, i've that's a great uh, ep too um and i guess yeah. i guess the problem is when we're dealing with larger discographies we got to leave some things out and so it's easy to just be like oh this is an ep we won't really touch on it but um yeah, it is it is some classic shit, especially chemical warfare. Yeah. So um
1: on that note, I'm going to go into number 6. All righty. And and my number 6 pick is now it's, it's changed in like it was number 5. Okay. But it has it has changed over the week uh, with like, you know, listening to the other albums and stuff and I've really been analyzing stuff and really nitpicking and I've gone for number six with "Show No Mercy." Okay. Okay, so like the big thing I noticed right off of the bat with this album, it has like it's it's got a lot of low end in the mix, considering it's an early eighties um, thrash album. Now, when you compare this album to "Kill 'Em All," it essentially just sounds like a much bassier you know albeit faster and you know heavier as it is slayer but it still has that kind of like new wave of british heavy metal influence and things like that and um all sorts but you can really hear i think this is the album with the most prominent bass you know tom is is really audible on this album especially in like the the intro to um black magic but i'll um I'll get to I'll get to that one and in a minute. And
0: that's that's in juxtaposition to what we were talking about last episode where it seems like yeah. on a lot of Slayer albums Tom Araya's bass seems to be ba- buried very low in the mix. Like sometimes sometimes I can't even pick it out in certain songs on certain albums and other times it's just very low. But uh yeah, yeah. you you are right in this particular album you can hear it clear as day. Yeah, and it's and it's such a
1: it's such a weird little thing I, I I picked up on because not a lot of um, early eighties mixes, as far as as far as I know, were that bass bassy. You know. Yeah. They a lot of them were very you know midy and, and trebly. Whereas uh, this has a really cool, punchy, dark
0: sound, considering the time it came out in, and you would, in nineteen eighty three, you you would wonder like if that was intentional or not. Like was was it was it, was it an yeah. error? Like in the was the production not exactly what they wanted, and it just so happened that the bass was louder. But I guess you know we'd have to ask them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> either way, you know it does. It, you know, overall, though, it does it does have a very classic metal kind of sound to it but the bass yeah. is is an interesting character
1: yeah it's got like remnants of the bands that came before with some like you know catchy hooky parts in there but still much more extreme than those bands right off of the bat you know with um evil has no boundaries introduces us to slayers vicious breed of 80s thrash you know complete with the occasional like high scream that would become rarer and rarer with each ensuing release I think I think the last time he actually did that like ah! kind of thing was um was on angel of death I can't think of any others where he like did that really
0: yeah
1: high up shriek
0: he you did, know, he, he does it a, he does it a couple times on on the rain and blood album um yeah. but yeah post post that album I think he pretty much uh just ditched it yeah
1: ditched that yeah which you know i suppose as you as you do get older certain notes get harder to hit if you're not like classically trained or something which you know quite obviously tom was not tom was just i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna and just just be
0: the the gnarliest guy in town (laughs) Uh, yeah also i think that that as they were developing their sound as what would become you know the slayer sound i feel like that way of doing that one vocal part it's almost like that was an old trope from the days of the past and it wasn't it wasn't a slayer thing it was almost like that was an element that they didn't even need and he was doing it for whatever reason because it always kind of some bands when they do that it always kind of catches me off guard because if the majority of their vocals are not like that and then just one word they decide to go ah I'm just like well yeah. why <laughs> and it's almost like they feel like they need to and then Slayer decided you know what we don't need to and I'm sure Tom or I was like great <laughs> fuck that shit <laughs> I think this one in um Necrophobic yeah yeah the very um, very the very last piece he's, yeah. he's, he's singing all fucking
1: fast <laughs> <laughs> brilliant but yeah again i'll get to that song later so we have um we have track two the antichrist is um one of the catchiest songs they've ever written you know this one almost reminds me a little bit of um jump in the fire it's got that real hooky element to it especially right off the bat as well it's it's got that and it's almost it almost doesn't sound like them but when it when it comes in uh with the main verse and it it becomes a slayer song but much like this album this is slayer becoming slayer you know you've still got you've still got influences left over which becomes gradually more apparent as the uh, album progresses as i'd noticed um die by the sword carries the same vibe as the opening track although tom sounds less vicious and more like he's straining to hit the notes on this one but there there is an awesome mid-tempo breakdown in the middle though and um fight till death is another early thrash song on here though still clearly displaying a less refined and more new wave of British heavy metal influence sound than the pioneering kind of extreme thrash sound that they would develop as the decade progressed. And then I think this is one of those times where when you hit the middle of the album, the best material is like dead center in the album Mm -hmm. because you've got the pairing of you know, Metal Storm, Face the Slayer, you know, that lead guitar intro is amazing, and following that one up with Black Magic, which, in my opinion, has to be one of, if not the best song Slayer has written, because I love everything about it, Yeah. all the part, all of the various parts are amazing, and it doesn't falter at any point during the song we, we know, i black... think we
0: uh we fanboyed over that one at, in the last episode too a little bit
1: yeah i just
0: i just fucking
1: love black magic i get goosebumps with that song it's so good yeah
0: it's it's really like for, for for that particular album that's the standout track for me that's the one that you can't just discard that album as just a debut where they're figuring out their sound yeah. because in a song like that i think that's when that's where they're they're dialing it in and they, they, they're yeah. like, okay, I think we know what we're doing now, and so yeah it's fucking classic definitely and then you get to you get to what I
1: would refer to as the maiden section of the record <laughs> yeah where they they kind of it's like they 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 hit the mark on black magic and then they were like, okay, here is all the now that we've ripped your face off with you know that gradual climb up to the climax that is black magic they were gonna show off some of their influences a little more um so right off the bat tormentor could have been a maiden song the only thing reminiscent of straight up slayer is the solo and it's interesting to think about what it would be like if slayer went down a more traditional like maiden judas priest kind of route because i think this album they could have gone one of two ways. They 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 obviously went in the more extreme direction, but um, can you imagine if Slayer went down a more, not so much
0: softer, but more accessible route? Yeah, I mean, that would have definitely been interesting. I feel like they could have pulled it off, but yeah, I don't think we would be talking about them in the same respect that we are now if they had done that. They would just be another great metal band from the 80s But I don't think that they would have um, defined, you know, a genre. You know, been one of the genre defining bands. Oh, oh, definitely for sure. And then Final
1: Command also has that vibe until they go full speed metal. And then Cryonics has this mega new wave British heavy metal vibe too. You know, there's a big chunk of like not necessarily thrash, but classic early 80s metal at the end of, you know, at this end portion of the record. And then Show No Mercy, the title track, rips your face off. It's a a fucking thrasher. And then all in all, a top half album for me, but they have yet to, you know, fully hone in on what they would become. So this is kind of like... Yeah, this is Slayer figuring out who they are.
0: Yeah, and you kind of and you kind of have to remember that I think a lot of bands, especially around that time, well, maybe even today too, but especially back in the days of of getting record deals and putting out albums, that you know, if you had just figured out your sound and you have you know four or five uh, kick ass tight songs and you got to record an album, then you're like, well, well, we have these other ones we have to throw on here too. So I think that's why that album isn't as great because I think there are some of those. We have these other songs, and we need ten songs or however many songs it is to, to fill an album yeah. and so but I think every band has that they they have they have to fit in what they have in order to make it a full-length album, and sometimes it's just a bunch of, of amazing songs and other times we get to to hear the growth of the band like where they kind of started it off.
1: and I think you know that's that's cool in its own right because you, you get to you get to see how a band you know, of evolves. Yeah. And I honestly, I think it makes, it makes the overall experience more interesting when you have things like that in the mix that, um, make you think, wow, what were they thinking when they made this song or something like that? You know, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want a band to make, you know, I know this is funny coming from Slayer, but, you know, in a, in a way, they stuck to their guns and had the Slayer sound, but they did evolve. Yeah. But it's, I don't want a band to get a sound and then stick with that sound like consistently every single record. You know, I, I want a little bit of deviation, you know, maybe a strange production style or, you know, basically just don't make, you know, album part two or, or like, you know, Back in Black 8.
0: Yeah. Which, I, which, unfortunately, I think that even some of the bands that didn't do that in the past, the, some of the bands that are still around today, that's kind of what they're doing. They're like, oh, yeah. everyone expects us to do this sound, so every three years we're going to put out an album produced by the same person with a very similar sound. And the songs, even if they're good songs, they still sound very interchangeable with the three or four albums they did prior to that. And so it kind of sucks. Definitely. but. I guess Slayer for the most part didn't really fall into that category o- overall. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't hold them to that. They had they have a couple yeah. albums that I spoke about on the last episode that I do think sound a bit paint by numbers at times, but I think overall they did manage to give every album kind of its own character, which is admirable for 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 sure. Yeah.
1: And it's very easy to fall into this trap of thinking Slayer is one thing when, it actually, you know, they aren't. They are. They have. They have explored. They've just explored things in a way, in the Slayer way. You yeah. know, in that e- evil kind of sound, whether whether it be, whether it be ridiculously fast or it be you know slow and sludgy. I, I, I think Slayer, while they have had a consistent. They've had a consistent vibe. The sound of the records has has changed over time. Yeah, and yeah, so I have I have rambled on enough for <laughs> that. It's it is your turn.
0: That's all right. That's that's how we roll on this uh, on this podcast, folks. If you're just if you're new to this, um, it works out very well because Eddie is somebody who who takes notes and he goes through the tracks and he's. He seems like he's almost rigorous with, with his details, um, which, is, which, is, which is helpful because I'm more of a feeling and a vibe and a summary kind of guy. So if it was just me here talking, we would be done in 20 minutes and I'd be like, all right, guys, later. <laughs> because I, but, but, so this works out because uh, you, as you'll hear when I uh, talk about my number six. So my number six is uh, Divine Intervention from 1994. Ooh. So... Um, this album to me is the last classic slayer album. And I know some people would yeah. argue against that fact because, you know, you don't have um uh, uh Dave Lombardo. I don't know why my brain farted right there. But uh <laughs> it's the first album with Paul Bostoff. Um and the production's not very good. You could make that argument too. I I I I've heard all of that shit and I agree with it. Um, but for some reason, this album, the overall vibe of it, um, it just has, like, if you're talking about what we were talking about before where Slayer was, you know, developing their sound and trying new things, this is like the last, I think, of the classic era of that before they kind of, I don't know, I mean, because obviously after this, they, they go into the new metal territory a little bit and then things, things kind of. Uh the trajectory didn't seem the same, if if that makes sense. So there are some really great songs on Divine Intervention, a lot of them. Uh, one of them that we touched on last episode was Dittohead. Ditto Head's one of my favorite Slayer songs, yeah. and it's just a fucking insane song. Um, but you know, aside from that, the thing that I think is really great about this album, and it was great when it came out, because there was a lot of hype building up for this album when it came out in 94. And the thing that I loved when I got this album was they still stayed really fucking heavy and for the most part, really fast. And this was in 1994, where everybody was slowing down. Everybody was making sort of altered versions of what they were doing. Um, I mean, people like to point out you know the the thrash bands that can do no wrong like you know Exodus but Exodus put out an album that was pretty toned down for an Exodus album uh with yeah. uh, Force of Habit which I love that album but um I think out of all of those bands I think Slayer was the one with this particular album but they 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 kept going with a lot of those classic Slayer elements even though they they were now making an album in 1994 when music had had the face of music had changed, especially metal. Um, so yeah, the fact that they didn't move away and shy away from still doing some fast thrashy stuff and some real heavy songs, um, is pretty great. Um, and I don't know the, the, over the, the mostly with this album with me, it's the overall vibe. And, you know, once again, maybe I have to chalk it up a little bit to nostalgia. Cause I remember the album being out and listening to it a lot and it gives me a nice, feeling of what what the musical world was like in 1994 and how this album really stood out. Um, And of course, like a lot of albums, um, this one loses a bit of its steam on the second half. Um, But that's, I don't know, I think that happens a lot, especially with albums in the 90s. But yeah, overall, it just feels like a classic. I listen to it now and it just like songs, parts of songs will come on and I'll go, yes, that's that. That's that fucking killer part from this song. Like it's, it doesn't seem like a newer Slayer album anymore. It seems like a classic Slayer album. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just a lot of fun to listen to. It's a very enjoyable album. And, um, as I, as I said before on the last podcast, I do have, um, issues with some of Paul Bostoff's drumming, um, mostly his double kick playing. Cause it does seem a little bit clumsy at times, but, um, i, I clearly that's that, that, that might just be a me thing. <laughs> we'll have to wait. <laughs> we'll have to wait and get feedback from these episodes and just have people being like, that guy, Steve is a fucking idiot. Paul Bostoff rules. <laughs> but, um, but overall, the dude's a fucking killer drummer. I mean, so, I I don't know. Yeah. Now I feel like I'm just rambling about this album. But it, it, to me, it it fits in the second half for me because it does still have a classic quality and it's still a really great album to listen to today from beginning to end. So, uh, there you go, number six. I think, as well,
1: just, just to build off what you said about it being, like, in the classic era. See, I would... I generally consider, like, even if it's a subconscious thing, I tend to think you know, show no mercy right through up to seasons in the abyss was like Slayer's golden age. Yeah, and um, obviously divine intervention. It it did suffer from like production, and obviously, the four year difference production wise between nineteen ninety 1990 and nineteen ninety four mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah, because um like i said in the last episode uh the big 80s big reverb thing was still very prominent in um the metal thing until about 93 you know that was that was still kicking about for a while you had bands like helmet that completely ditched that in like 92 and um had a really tight sound and you can really hear the um distinct dryness of the 90s production on the on the record it's like nowhere near the best production anyway like even by eight even by like 80s standards you know they'd be like hey those guitars are pretty you know murky and yeah you know there's there's not a lot of definition in
0: certain elements of the mix and I guess so it, I guess that says a lot about the album too because if it breaks through that hurt that or or <laughs> I was gonna say breaks through that hurdle now you're supposed to jump yeah. over hurdles right I think <laughs> so the fact that it gets past that part of the album and and to me it doesn't matter like the production never yeah. never never drags the album down to me maybe it felt like it did at the time but the, getting used to the way that it sounds all it all that shines through now is just the songwriting and the performances and it's you know, yeah it doesn't matter anymore and for and
1: and like you say it it does still have that classic thrash feel to it even even if it does have like a strange production for that kind of eras songwriting, because yeah. if you're so if you're so used to um 80s slayer i know seasons was 1990 but it, it still it still applies yeah you know the '80s weren't officially
0: over until at least '93. Yeah, and I guess and I guess that's part of why the album works for me is because they because it I don't know if you take the first song uh, Killing Field, it, it how it starts off with a with really a really odd sort of tempo, uh, uh, whatever yeah. you call it, time signature kind of thing that's going on during the verses, and then it still kicks in for the thrashy part. So it's it's almost like it it. I don't know it's it, it really that's the that's the thing that's so odd about it is because even those parts even the parts where Slayer took an odd turn in a certain part of a song it still doesn't sound like they were trying to sound 90s so yeah maybe that's probably why it still sounds classic it just sounds like a band trying something different but then still busting out the the fast thrashiness when when it needs to happen.
1: Yeah, and I th- and I think that that pretty much sums up divine intervention and, and Slayer's whole ethos during that time. You know, the production had shifted, and they had a different drummer, but they were still going to play thrash. Yeah, you know, they they weren't they weren't the kind of band that would. I don't want to say like adapt, but because um, because they did, but they didn't falter from what made them unique. Yeah and and i and I, th- and I think slayer has a unique tonality to them that's one of this incredibly heavy evil sound that i i you don't really get from any other bands and i think that could be even down to like the choice of guitar tones and the way everything works like this well-oiled killing machine yeah but totally it there's so many thrash bands, but I, I don't think I've ever heard any that can replicate the
0: Slayer sound, even in like covers. even in like covers. Yeah, there are some others that have that edge that that it's very extreme, like your like you know like violence and uh and devastation and bands like that that are that I think are are contenders for being in the same arena, but yeah. um I really don't think those bands would exist without slayer anyway Yeah, <laughs> so De- definitely slayer certainly set the bar yeah
1: totally yeah so um is that your number six yes so not now down to your number five cool so my number five is 2001's god hates us all all right and uh this one i would consider something of a guilty pleasure but it it it's an album that helped me through a bit of a rough time. Um, I'm, I'm aware of some of the leftover like new metal tropes in it, but this album hit me right in the adolescence. (laughs) So it sounds like how I would have wanted that new metal sound to
0: be, you know? So wait, how how old were you in
1: 2001? Oh, I would have been three
0: in 2001. Okay. But,
1: um, yeah for a second <laughs> there three, i was like wait three-year-old were you? me okay so you didn't hear it at three okay <laughs> never mind i get what you're saying Nah, uh, yeah it it was it was an album that i i say came along it was an album i i started listening to around kind of a, a a dark time and you know the angry lyrics came at a time when i was in a dark place and all i wanted to do you know I i was like peak outcast edgy kid at this point and all i wanted to do was just get into fights and shit i never actually did it but you know this album was a good outlet for that you know that that album feels like a fight it really (laughs) you know it really does you know that and like while while the while the lyrics may seem cringy and like too on the nose at points i feel as though that they were so direct they perfectly summed up how I feel at the time, like that kind of punch right in the face kind of feel that you do get from this album.
0: But they, they were, they were direct in a way that I don't think it, maybe there are some cheesy bits here and there, but the fact that this was around the time that we were also doing a lot of these new metal things, like I think Slipknot lyrics are laughable almost all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And, (laughs) and this doesn't come across like that to me, even though it's very direct and, and, I don't know. It, it never, it never came across as funny. There's funny bits, <laughs> I guess, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it was of its time. Like it was, that's how, that's how things were needed to be said in 2001. Definitely. Just, just straight to the point,
1: you know, I'm going to beat your fucking brains out kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's like the songs like exile and payback, you know, really tapped into that part of my brain that just made me want to, you know, go on this, fucking one-man rampage yeah
0: plus like i i have to admit like i i still grin every time he does that payback's a bitch motherfucker like, it, like yeah. it it makes me smile and i don't i don't know i'm i'm, I'm probably not supposed to smile there but it, it really does it, it it's it hits some sort of happy nerve with me where i'm like oh that's that's i know right it's
1: perfect yeah <laughs> it's 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 almost like that kind of like evil grin you get from like doing something a little bit you know, perhaps illegal or frowned upon, <laughs> but you don't care. <laughs> but um, going into the tracks, you know, the, it starts off with an intro called Darkness of Christ, which I can only assume it is engineered to trick you into turning the album up so that the <laughs> next song r- blows
0: you away. That's, and then, that's an interesting thought. That's a good idea. If, if nobody's done that, do that shit.
1: <laughs> like, Because when you listen to it, it's like very... It's almost like EQ'd to have no punch. So you're listening to this new album and you're hearing this like muffled version of Slayer, and it's like, God, those drums sound really tinny. And you're like, that was the first track? What the hell's going on here? And then, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Disciple rips your skin off and eats it. And then, you yeah, know, that that song there is um, not. I, I, would you call it the title track? I, I th- suppose because it does. I, say. I do.
0: I tend to forget what it's called, and I always call it "God Hates Us All," even though it's not called that. Um, yeah. It, it feels like the title track because the the title is in it. But um, yeah, that's a yeah. that that is that is a that is a top ten Slayer song for me too. That's a that's a fucking classic.
1: Definitely, because I remember the first time I heard this, and it was on the Big Four uh, show DVD, and oh, I was yeah. like. Slayer did a song like this, you yeah, and that's the, that's the same reason Jihad is another one of my favorite Slayer songs, and then, you know, song God Send Death, you know, switches between classic, you know, speedy Slayer, while incorporating that groove element they explored during this time, New Faith has a deliciously brutal chugging guitar tone, um, cast down, cast down sounds very roots era sepultura similar to the sound the band used a lot on the previous album um and then here i am at the most guilty pleasure slayer track in their entire discography for me i think this was like at number one on a list somewhere for like the worst slayer songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh but i absolutely fucking love it it's um threshold threshold is shamelessly new metal influenced and it's it's a two and a half minute pure edgy anger fest and i'm not gonna lie it's probably the biggest guilty pleasure in this entire discography and especially the groove of that chorus you know it's like the violence i love it that kind of thing and it's like Fuck yeah! But that's that's one
0: thing that I pointed out when I talked about this album is I like the fact that they didn't just completely abandon what they were doing on Diabolus in Musica. Like there's still elements of that on this, and so that's that makes that album not seem like a fucking waste of time because they didn't just go. Oops, sorry. They they kept some of those elements for this album.
1: I feel like this is the album that you know that one should have been in, in a in a way. Like, not, not so much that that album shouldn't have happened, but I think um, Diabolus was, like, the experiment, and this was the, you know, end result. This was the product we managed to get by exploring those sounds on the previous ra- record. And then, you know, you've got Exile. It's it is, is pure rage, and the line, you know... I love the bit where he just goes... You self-righteous fuck, give me a reason not to rip your fucking face off. Yeah. And it's got and it's got that, you know, kinda head bopping new metal feel in there mixed with the Slayer thing. But it does it in such a way that, you know, it doesn't feel corny to me. It feels like just a different version of a band I love doing something that's less, you know, Satan oriented and more just let's go out and kill some asshole. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, and you know, I'm probably going to say some very worrying shit during this segment of the podcast, but <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually a very level headed individual, you know? Um, but it's just this song, the these songs during this time. I think were a big help as to what made me who
0: I am now. <laughs> and I, I think that that I think that that could be said about a lot of metalheads. Like I think we, it's like therapy. We get out yeah. the aggression through this music, and and I feel like people that don't listen to aggressive music, I think that like that's why they have to shoot guns and shit <laughs> because yeah. they, because they just don't. They have to get it out somehow. Um, it never it never ceased to amaze me how like
1: you know back in school. I might have got into like one or two fights, but I was never I was never one of those like start trouble kids, but I listened to some of the most brutal and violent music of anyone I knew. Yeah. And I think I think that says I think that's that really says a lot about, you know, the effect that aggressive music really has on the listener. Because I don't actually feel aggressive. I actually feel a relief from this kind of thing yeah because it's it's almost like i don't have to go out and kill this guy because Slayer's gonna do it for me <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah and going back to the tracks you got seven faces it's a plodding menacing groover of a track bloodline is a tune no questions asked <laughs> bloodline it, i i fucking love that one that chromatic thing and then the part where they do like the cymbal chokes with the just so so good honestly
0: just to piggyback off of what i was saying before because i i did say i've said negative things about uh paul bostaff's drumming i uh it, on god hates us all i i think he's pretty spot on the whole fucking time like i don't remember hearing anything on that one where i was like oh that could have been done better um but uh yeah. so i think he nailed it with that one and I, I mean i i think he nailed it on a lot of albums too but i i had to give him some props because i feel like i, I was har- i've been harsh to him <laughs> you dogged on him on the divine intervention yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it's it's
1: it's a really underrated record. I think. I think it's definitely the best of their modern era, um, and you know, going back, Deviance has a slow, menacing feel to it. You know, that clean part at the beginning is creepy as fuck, with like the you know explosions going off and the screams, and you know, I know it's kind of, it seemed like an odd choice to use the same scream like. Four times, yeah. You know, it's like, is this person just like respawning in a game and keeps getting (laughs) killed? And they only had like one sound effect for that person, (laughs) but yeah. And then I do detect, um, you know, you were saying about Slipknot a little bit earlier, I do, I did detect a little bit of Slipknot influence about halfway into Warzone. If you listen to those drum fills in that like kind of break section they're very joey jordison yeah. in their in their style but that really is the only you know besides maybe the tuned down element and maybe some of the riffs um that that really is the only slipknot-esque thing i could pick up
0: on i mean um, but to be fair though if if a uh, if back in the day even now somebody who's really into slipknot if they were like where should I start with Slayer? I'd probably be like, well, God hates us all. If you're into Slipknot, start with it almost seems like yeah. they go they go very well together. Even even, even though God Hates Us All is has very it's it's still a Slayer album and has a lot of those Slayer elements. It seems to fit in perfectly with with uh, what Slipknot we're doing. Well it's
1: it's just got that, you know, late nineties, early noughties, heaviness where it needs to be for that style. And I, and I think they definitely adapted extremely well with this record to the times. Yeah. And then you've got, um, you know, here comes the pain, another one of those groovy tracks. And then like you say, payback, what (laughs) a fucking, what a fucking album closer. I know that there's a few more, I know there's a few more tracks on like certain other versions, but this would be like the main album closer, wouldn't it? Yep. Apart from like but bonus tracks, um, so to sum this one up in a sentence, this is the best modern Slayer album in my opinion, and it feels weird referring to something from two thousand and one as modern at this point, being as we're nearly twenty years removed from that. But um, I had a little interesting idea here to um, ask you. When would you say modern metal began? Cuz I would generally, I tend to think, you know, like I was saying with the production shift of um divine intervention, I would say probably around about 94 with like Korn's first album and Machine Head's Burn My Eyes. They definitely signal a definitive shift in focus to to more of a low-end
0: yeah. oriented
1: Groove kind of thing. I mean, I know Pantera was doing it, but they still had a bit of an old school feel.
0: Yeah, I, I really do. You, you, I, you, I, I I probably could hear you know many different perspectives on this, and I would think that they were all probably correct. But, but to me, I don't think it was until probably until the first Slipknot album in the late '90s, because even Corn and all of those bands, um, you listen to it, and I, you know. It, it still seems a bit removed from, from what you would traditionally call metal. Even though it's heavy and it has elements yeah. of metal, um, I think that's what, in, in my uh, memory, when the first Slipknot album came out, the thing that set them apart and made them an interesting band to me was the fact that they seemed like metal, but they also yeah. seemed like they could play shows with corn. So before that, all the bands were more doing a, they were, it was almost like they were more akin to hip hop music with guitars than they were to metal. And so finally, because like when, when was the first, when was Lamb of God's first album? Oh, what, you're talking. Was that also late Lam- 90s too, or was that early 2000s? <sighs>
1: Because weren't they burned the priest yeah. before they were Lamb of God? They may have yeah. been late
0: '90s, but it seemed like all Very of those all of 90s. those things were happening around the same time. Where you had these bands that had modern elements taken from, I guess, what the new metal guys were doing, but they were making what I would consider metal, and so that's yeah. that's where I think it started, and it, that's why I think God Hates Us All fits right in because that it sounds like modern metal, but that and yeah, I don't know. It's very, it's very weird to think about it because, as you brought up, it's been twenty years, um, and it, yeah. I mean, it's been 20, 21 years since the first Slipknot album, um, and or at least I think it was ninety-nine. It was ninety-eight or ninety-nine. Yeah. I don't really
1: remember. It was, not, it was ninety-nine. Yeah. Um,
0: but even I, I don't think that there's been a radical shift in what's considered metal since then. Because even, even though you have bands trying to do other things here and there, incorporate electronic elements or dance music into their metal, it all seems yeah. like it's all still connected to what started in, in the early 2000s and late 90s, so... Um, I guess it's it's the same way that you could take thrash metal and say, hey, it started in 1983, but then you could say, oh, it has a lot in common with bands from the late 70s. So you could say that modern metal started in 99 or 2000, but it has a lot in common with Pantera and Korn and those bands. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to to discuss because it it is all how you perceive the music, but... um, it, it it yeah calling modern metal something that came out in 2001 doesn't sound wrong to me it still sounds like that's modern maybe because of the yeah. new the new millennium maybe that's how why it feels that way
1: that that's what i tend to go by you know um you know save for like a lot of late 90s stuff i do think the before we move on to our um number 4 is it think, uh, my my number 5 it... Oh, you're number five, yeah. I think, just to just to wrap up on this little, little bit, I don't think there is any other decade that is quite split in half as the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Be- because, like, you know, the first five years were grunge and then the next five years were... Um, you know, the more modern stuff, what would become to be known as modern. And it's like the production and feel of those grunge albums, like only happened a few years before my birth, but they seem so otherworldly and far removed. And it's like I've said, like it wasn't until about 93, 94, that we started hearing the production from certain bands that would eventually, grow into what we have now yeah but it's there's there's a major sonic shift in the early to mid
0: 90s for I, me it's a, you, it's a good point because i i guess i guess when it comes to metal in the 80s it, it seemed like a gradual thing where it 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 transformed into whatever the late 80s sound would be but it seems like it still had a, a lot in common with early 80s whereas 90s yeah it, it almost seemed like rock and metal there was a there was one shift and then all of a sudden there was a second shift um, yeah that's uh that's interesting um, but yeah so we we have we're on to mind number 5 now we're we this is a this is a long-winded podcast here which which i you know what i i had one comment saying they liked the long-winded podcasts so i'm like this one's for you dude <laughs> hell yeah all right so moving on to mind number 5 just like you said God Hates us All To You is the best modern Slayer album. Number five is my pick for best modern Slayer album, and that is World Painted Blood from I feel 2009. I feel so bad because like, I, I put World Painted <laughs> Blood like, right at the bottom for me. Hey, that's all right. Um, so World Painted Blood, for those of you who don't know, was the last album of the classic lineup of Slayer. Last album with Jeff Hanneman before his Death Death. I said deaf. (laughs) Okay. Um, And the last album with Dave Lombardo on drums before he quit uh, for a second time. And um, to me, this seems like a classic Slayer album done in the modern era because it is very thrashy. It almost seems like a a cousin or maybe a, a close i don't know maybe maybe a a, a brother or sister <laughs> to uh <laughs> to seasons seasons in the abyss because seasons in the abyss was a very a varied album there were yes. different kinds of tracks on it but all of them fast and and exciting and heavy and world Pain and blood is like that you're not just getting one note with this album it it kind of picks up all of the, the the Slayer elements that you want on an album, and puts them in there for you, but it doesn't just do it haphazardly. The songwriting to me is really fucking good. Um, there are, there are memorable tracks where this album is now you know eleven years old, and when I first got it in two thousand nine, I thought it was really fucking good, and I listened to it today and parts of many of the songs will give me that feeling of like oh shit yeah this is that song that does that and and so that's that's really all you can ask for with that with an album like this so um yeah we, we talked about uh, this album obviously last time because uh, it was in was it your dead last album World Painted blood it was uh, the second last my last okay. my last was the uh, undisputed attitude oh Yeah, okay. So, but I remember we talked about Americon, which Americon is one of my favorite Slayer songs, even though you could make the argument that it doesn't sound much like a Slayer song. Yeah. But I did like um, that one. That one was, that one stood out to me. So I remember when the album, before the album came out, they released that song, Hate Worldwide. And, it was underwhelming to me because it was so just like, Oh, I feel like they've already done this song before. And it is probably my least favorite on the album. Uh, But when you put everything together, it's just, it's just such a well done album. And to me, if this had been the last Slayer album, I feel like it would have been perfect because all the guys are there. The songwriting is top notch. You may, you could make improvements to the production, I, I guess, but there's something about the rawness of it it almost has a punky vibe to the to the sonics of it all and yeah. it just makes it seem more brutal and 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 uh in your face um so to me uh, e- even though we didn't get that even though there is another slayer album that i didn't like as much to me this album is a wonderful swan song for jeff hanneman yeah um because uh there's a lot of his songwriting on this shit and um it's just it's just great like it's it's an album that I uh obviously because I put it at number five it's 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 right here right next to all of these classic Slayer albums that we'll start ranking once we get through with this one. Um so that says a lot to me. The fact that not only do I hold it in that regard but the fact that it's still um, has that same effect over me today, you know? 11 years yeah. later, I still think it's a really good album, and uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Jeff Hanneman uh, is a, a sorely missed uh, uh metal uh, guitar player because I do think that he's in some ways, like, I think in his death, people started to take a, a closer look at how he played and what he wrote, and I think that's a great thing. It just sucks that. It, his death had to bring that about because um, yeah. I think before that he was a little bit overshadowed by Cary King. And some people would even attribute things that he did to Cary King. Cause Cary King, for the most part, I don't know how many albums it happened on, but it's like, a, it's like the James Hetfield thing where Cary King plays all of the rhythm on the, on the albums. Yeah. None of it's Jeff, none of it's Jeff Hanneman. It may be occasionally, but mostly he's just doing his solos, but a lot of the songwriting and riff writing on some of these albums uh, was Jeff Hanneman yeah. and the dude, the dude fucking ruled. So yeah, um, at the risk of going on too long about this album, I'm just going to sum it up and just say that I, I think that it stands up with all of their classic stuff. And so that's why it's here at number five world painted blood.
1: I will say as well, like just, just to echo what you said, it, you know, it's not a bad album by any means. I know, I know you love it. And I, I think, yeah. I think the production for me was a little bit of a hurdle. Um, I I feel like it feels a little bit compressed and a little bit restrained at times. That could just be a me thing, like, like you said, like you said earlier. But um, I do definitely. It is a good swan song for Jeff Haneman, and it sucks that he died. And you know the way he died it really sucks. You know, Yeah. and. I will admit, like I've never been crazy about Slayer's leads, but what I will say in the guitar department is when it comes to riffs, they know how to create a mood with what they're doing. Whether it be a frantic, you know, kind of thing, or they really hold back and they play something really dark and awesome like um
0: south of heaven for example yeah you know and 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 really if you if you if you're talking about the big four slayers when it comes to memorable riffs that you you'll sing along to the fucking riff and not the vocals like slayer is the biggest of those four bands like yes like you think of just a riff that sticks out more than the vocals that's got to be slayer uh, out of all of those bands I would
1: definitely agree with that because, like, it would be hard to find a single metal fan that didn't know what meant, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Awesome. Number four. Number four. Okay, so my number four is. Hello, Whites. All right. So, Hell Awaits, where do I start? It steps steps further away from what Show No Mercy borrowed from New Wave of British Heavy Metal, and it just skipped all of the kind of goofy, catchy shit and just went for all of the heavy stuff. And just before we did this podcast, I looked up, because this is, I think, of the classic era, possibly my least listened to album got I have no fucking idea why because it's one of my favorites but um this is you know top four territory and this is a really interesting album and I saw a little short review of this before I, I started doing this podcast and it said something along the lines of death metal began here and i think there is some real weight to that because there are a lot of riffs on here that sound
0: like they could be on a morbid angel album or they could be on it's so funny that you're saying that because i it wasn't necessarily with Weights, but especially with rain and blood like you hear riffs and i'm all like fucking morbid angel lifted that yeah <laughs> and they definitely. And they and they so it's like slayer is like is be, i mean it's not a it's not a secret that you know they influenced those bands but yes it's a it's an excellent point especially when you're comparing it to morbid angel and bands like yeah. that. yeah and the, the
1: i know tom araya once referenced death metal as as like cookie monster bands in a in, a, in an <laughs> yeah. interview where they were like oh yeah we're, we're on the bill with a bunch of cookie monster bands and they asked him oh what do you mean and he just blurts out cookie <laughs> but i <laughs> i think you know he's got some prototype prototype death growl shit on this one especially on the title track which i will get into now and it's also interesting to note that from a track perspective this album has the least tracks of any main slayer studio album but that doesn't make it the shortest by any means because this album this album contains many of slayer's longest songs most being around or exceeding the five to six minute mark and the majority of slayer songs like before and since have all been in the kind of two three maybe four minute ballpark with you know notable exceptions here and there with like seasons in the abyss and whatnot but this album really explores its tracks um Obviously, beginning with that back masked, um, like, join us thing, yeah. which, you know, must have scared the shit out of anyone listening to it in 1985. The opening title track shows that the band took the most evil sounding shit from the first album, ditched all the goofy um, maiden tropes, uh, not calling cool maiden goofy, but, you know, by Slayer standards you know slayer are, are, are a very much more serious and dark kind of affair so yeah. they they ditched all of like the cheesy metal stuff and just went full on brutal thrash um also tom uh yelling the lyrics in this song Sounds like he didn't realize how many syllables are in the lyrics he'd written <laughs> and he had to catch up with the song in the vocal booth. <laughs> like, I, I love it. it, you know, it makes me laugh, but you know, it's just that when it stops and it's like, I, d- I don't know the lyrics, so I'm just gonna have to say a bunch of gibberish, and it's like. Words <laughs> <Just laughs> Such a chaotic, awesome way to open an album because it completely you know Show No Mercy has its moments, but it's still a very light album in comparison to their later work. Yeah. And um Kill Again, you know, further cements a more brutal sound in the band. You know, Gone is the goofy eyeliner, we're just here to kill. You know, At Dawn They Sleep is one of the earliest examples of the really, really evil sounding slower stuff that they would explore on South of Heaven and Seasons in the Abyss. And the lyric blood sucking creatures of the night is also 80s metal gold. I I think, you know, that's probably that's possibly a highlight, definitely a highlight on the album for me. You know, Praise of Death cranks up the tempo for this onslaught of classic 80s thrash brutality necrophiliac has a badass riff and then another one in the breakdown and i think it's important to note as well a lot of these song titles are very death metal you know the you know kill again uh praise of death necrophiliac this is like Leagues above stuff like two minutes to midnight and breaking the law. You know this. This isn't yeah. just. This isn't just. Um, hey, turn that music down. It's I don't want you listening to this stuff. <laughs> and then um, Crips of Eternity, probably the closest to Show No Mercy, but even this is incredibly heavier than the previous album. And then finally. An interesting thing to note here is hard, Hardening of the Arteries goes that full pelt thrash slayer mode for that first two minutes, and then bookends the album with a reprise of the Hell Awaits intro, which I think is a really cool way to end the album. Almost, yeah, I agree. Almost symbolizing the this eternity of hell, you know? And it, that's a little poetic thing i i dug into there I, d- I don't usually pick up on that kind of stuff but i think bookending the album with the way it started and then fading out that same intro at the end it's a it, it's frightening you know it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it it's almost it's almost like it's almost like the songs in this album um are doomed to repeat forever and they're all in yeah like some kind of
0: hell themselves, you know? And I love- It's also just like a, it's a weird sort of like call to just flip the record over and start it all again. Like, yeah. you know, just keep, just listen to this one again. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I loved revisiting this
1: record as I have neglected it terribly. It's way cooler than I remember. I, I love it. it. Actually, it's what moved um, God Hates Us All down a spot because God hates us all was above it, but then I, I kind of unfairly lumped this one into the same camp as Show No Mercy when, in actual fact, they're very different records. And I think, I think it's very easy for people to think, oh Slayer, start with Rain and Blood and then go from there. When, in actual fact, the the first two albums are fucking rad too. Yeah, and I, and I think you know Hell Awaits is. Hello Waits is an album that I have only like really tapped into properly recently and I've actually been listening to this one a lot more and I'm really impressed with it and I can't believe it's taken this long to set in but there there is this strange maturity for such an early record and I think it it kind of lines up with you know how I said Show No Mercy is a lot like Kill All this one is a lot like ride the lightning but in a sense that they refined their sound further and did the best parts that made the last album great better and focused on that yeah but yeah that's my I, uh,
0: that's my take i i agree with with much of what you're saying in fact my number four is also hell awaits sweet <laughs> um and and if i'm keeping track of things correctly you and i have the same top four we just don't know if we're in the same order or not. Yeah, now. this this is going to be an um, interesting interesting yeah. segment. So I, I second a lot of what you said. I can't add a lot to it. It is their second album, and to me, it really does solidify who Slayer are. It's the beginning of of real Slayer for me. Whereas you had some real Slayer tracks on the first album and EP, but yeah. Um, this is the first one where I'm all like, "This is the beginning of of full on Slayer mode," and it's just classic. There's just so many classic songs. You you name them. Just starting off with "Hello Aids," into "Kill Again," into "At Dawn They Sleep." That three song grouping right there is just so fucking great that yeah, I almost don't I almost don't need the rest of the album because <laughs> it's. It's that good, yeah, um, tons of memorable riffs they they got them the memorable Slayer Riff thing really kicking into gear on this. and it's an overall improvement in songwriting from the first album. um it's it's very focused. it's a it's a cohesive album, I guess driven home by the fact that it does have the book ending of the of the riffs. Um, it just feels like the they got their shit together big time, yeah, and uh, figured out who they were as a band. And um, it comes across in this album. I think it gets, it it unfortunately does get overshadowed by other albums by Slayer. And so um, I guess that's why you don't hear about it as much, but I don't know. I feel like it's undeniable just listening to, you know, the title track. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, It's classic status. And it's sure it still does have kind of an 80s production style to it. It's before they really got with the sort of punchy in your face production with Rain and Blood. But um, this one also noteworthy for you. You can hear the bass on it. Yes. Um, it's not as prominent as it is on Show No Mercy, but um, you can you can hear the low end really well on this album, um, which brings me to an interesting thing that I I never noticed until this last time that I listened to it. There's a midsection on Crypts of Eternity that's a very cool midsection, but you clearly hear Tom Mariah fuck up on the bass guitar. Yeah. You, you hear him, You hear him do a stop that doesn't happen until the next four bars or whatever, <laughs> and then you hear it happen again, and I go, oh, he was confused about where he was. I went back and listened to it like three times. I was like, there's no other reason why the bass guitar would cut out at that one part except for he thought it was the next run through of that riff you
1: know i, th- I think so- i know what you're talking about because i think i heard something but i didn't take any notice of it
0: but yeah yeah it's interesting and so like there's a part of me that goes maybe that's why they started turning down his bass in the, <laughs> in the mix <laughs> what we do, what we but i mean I'm- yeah uh- Obviously it wasn't a big enough deal that they, I mean, I'm. I, maybe they didn't have the time to go back or maybe they were just like, fuck it. It sounds fine. <laughs> um, what we don't It doesn't know. take away from the album at all. I, I just, I like finding little nuggets like that inside of albums of like, Oh, like you'd like in, uh, on Kill 'em All where there's a, uh, I think it's on uh, Phantom Lord or one of those where Kirk flubs a, a solo. Yeah. That he hits the wrong note. And I'm all like, I love that. Don't I, I don't want them to ever go back and change that. I love that. <laughs> there's, there's a guy called, um, I
1: think, He's, he's he's Ukrainian he's a youtuber he, he does a lot of um, videos about like facts about Metallica and stuff I think he's called like Andre Versilenko or something is um, oh, yeah. but if you type in like 36 crazy Metallica facts or something he'll pop up and um, he did a video um, where he showed like stuff buried in the vocal mix of um, the first, like, kind of three Metallica albums, and I know this is a Slayer episode, but this is something cool for the listeners to check out. Um, (laughs) The amount of um, burps that are hidden on the album that they added to give, like, vocals extra punch in sections, they would, like, burp underneath the um, vocals...
0: That is awesome. In
1: certain sections, yeah, there's um I think as well in the bass to Master of Puppets that dun 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 Cliff is actually playing um a note uh not wrong but dissonant. So it's like it's like one note off and instead of dun 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 it it's like dun dun dun, dun 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 and it's that little oh. dissonance that you don't even notice that makes it sound that much heavier and there's so much cool shit on this guy's channel i think there's like a keyboard buried very quietly in fade to black's vocal track for james to stay on pitch as well
0: and there's that's interesting yeah And it's just, it's, I love that
1: kind of shit. Yeah. It's interesting to think about, um, you know, for all we know, as of rain and blood, you know, Tom could have like been sliding the base around on his ass and like, we wouldn't know.
0: (laughs) 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 But yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's, that's really all I have about Hello Waits. You, You hit all the important marks there um it's a f- fucking classic and it's still very enjoyable today so uh here we are so now we get to find out like how do we do how do we differ if at all on our top three so uh let's let's get into it
1: this is going to be really interesting because we've obviously both got the three slayer albums that everyone talks about so <laughs> yeah um it's you know because you've got the first two records they kind of get overshadowed and, and you know everything after seasons is like later slayer well this is this is the trifecta of albums that are like that when slayer really hit their stride so yeah. my number three this could be controversial not quite sure but um <laughs> so my number three is rain and blood Okay,
0: okay, this is so, getting
1: good. This is yeah. Good. So this is the one. This is one third of the trifecta of landmark thrash albums released in 1986. This is the most extreme of those three albums. You know, you have got Master of Puppets, you've got um, Peace Cells, and then you've got Rain and Blood. Rain and Blood is leagues above in terms of extremity, and slayer really opened the doors for the like crazier more extreme metal that would follow it with this one it's it's less than 30 minutes in length and i will say that this album does have an element of bookending the record with the two best tracks like i remember someone did like a bit of a an analogy of this album as uh okay so this album goes angel of death (laughs) rain and blood (laughs) um whereas like they're the two biggest tracks on the album and one is at the beginning and one is at the end so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go right into the track by track track by track
0: that's that's a little i mean i mean i i I, it's it's a humorous way to look at it but he forgot that jesus saves is on this album too oh oh yeah true
1: (laughs) I think I think it's pos- I think it's possibly due to the to the length of both um, first and last tracks, and yeah. then the the rest of the tracks on this album are very straightforward, uh, like you know kind of two minutes each. Um, with the exception of you know like something like Jesus Saves or criminally insane, but let's let's go for it. So, right. um, Angel of Death, icon iconic song. Needs no introduction. It's flawless. And that um, is one of the coolest metal riffs of all time.
0: I'm with you on that. Yeah,
1: definitely in the top 10. Like, I think when it comes to breakdowns, that is, that
0: blew my mind the first time I heard it. I was like, oh my God, that's cool. You it's know, it's breakdowns like that that make me mad about more modern bands where their idea of a middle section is just them going dun 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 yeah. dun dun and I'm just like okay guys yeah <laughs> it's, it's' you know you can do more things with your song
1: yeah I I like you know when I like as well when it takes more of a simplistic like backbeat to it but it's got like a really awesome riff in that kind of space you know. There's only so many times you can hear chug, chug 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 yeah. chug chug. chug, chug <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was that was a little pinch in there just to spice things up, but yeah. Um, so after you know following Angel of Death, um, you got Piece by Piece. That song is a pummeling attack on the mm-hmm, ears in the best mm-hmm. of ways. You know, only to be followed by Necrophobic. This all-out speedy 100 seconds of Oh, holy that's fuck. A,
0: that's, that's in my top 10 Slayer songs too. R- really? <laughs> my top awesome. 10 probably is actually 20. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got um, Altar
1: of Sacrifice as another awesome thrashing track. Although I will say now, disclaimer, this may ruin this song for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All the, um, I watched a misheard lyrics video for this song. And there's a part where Tom says, like, answer his every command. But it someone had said that um, someone had put it. So it's like, answer his every Timmy, like Timmy from South Park. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I've never been able to unhear it in 10 years. I have tried my best, but like the more I hone in on it. I think I've just accepted it as part of the album's lexicon. <laughs> so, but yeah, and then the, the song that song fades out into Jesus Saves. You know, you, you can really hear what sounds death metal bands would take from this and build upon later in the decade and into the into the nineties, and then criminally insane iconic drum beat. That Lombardo is the, beat the the Lombardo beat exactly. <laughs> um insanely good single-handed 16th notes on the ride cymbal. Awesome, awesome drumming ability from Dave Lombardo. Um Reborn shows off um Tom's snarly vocals. It's especially that ripped-down torn like yeah. bit where he really lays into it. Um Epidemic has a really cool riff around the 30 second mark that I completely forgot about and I when I heard it again I was like I feel like I'm hearing this for the first time. There's it, a lot it,
0: of little things in Rain and Blood that if you 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 really get into it, they, they, there's so much in this album that sticks out, that are the major things that it's sometimes easy to lose these other little cool things that happen on the album and so yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, like the
1: pairing of Reborn and Epidemic always struck me as like the the hidden gems yeah. of the, of this of this of this record and then and then finally you've got the songs postmortem and rain and blood uh which both you know it ends this record on an extremely high quality pairing of tracks that just rip you in half and just the same as the first time you heard them this this album is classic and influential in every way but is it slayer's best is the question i asked myself yeah when when i considered the hype surrounding this record you know at the time it set a standard you know this is how extreme we can really get with this and it was like holy shit you know um obviously people who had followed slayer from the beginning could see this development happening but if people were listening to more stuff like um Judas Priest or Iron Maiden or maybe even Metallica and Megadeth because Metallica and Megadeth comparatively speaking are pretty tame compared to Slayer in terms of extremity. Yeah. You know. You know, even even Metallica's fastest st- stuff is still much more accessible than a Slayer album. <laughs> totally. But yeah, this is
0: that is my pick for number 3. Okay. Um quickly moving on to my number three, which is not rain and blood. Uh, my number three is uh, the 1988 album South of heaven. You
1: yeah, know, I knew that was, that was going to be the pick. I, so, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so to be fair though, we're now getting at a point where to me, it's three pretty fucking perfect albums that we're talking about here. So um, it's hard to fuck with them. Um, so, um, so the, the South of heaven is this is the second one produced by Rick Rubin. Yeah. And, um, it followed rain and blood. And I think the production on South of heaven is better than rain and blood. Um, it still retains the sort of punchy quality. Um, it's, it still seems very heavy, but something about it where everything, all the instruments really seem to shine through in more of a clear, and you can clearly hear things a lot better but it still sounds really heavy. Um, and on this one, you can hear at times the bass guitar, but the thing that I, that I noticed going back and listening to a lot of these early albums is that depending on the song, it's almost like if the bass guitar had something prominent that was being played, it was actually turned up louder. And then, yeah. and then other times it would be turned down lower. And, um, but for the most part, South of Heaven, I think... I I go back and forth on what I think the best produced Slayer album is, and South of Heaven is one of them. Um, and, and overall, like, this is just a very mature album um, from a band that gave you a pummeling 29-minute fucking classic right before this, a um, couple years before this. And I almost feel like they... They knew that they nailed it with that album. They were like, we already yeah. nailed we we perfected the fast thing on Rain and Blood and they their confidence shows through in the songwriting on South of Heaven. It just sounds Definitely. like a band that's like, we got this. Don't we don't need your input. We got this. Um and there's just so many fucking classic songs on this album. Um, Probably my favorite aspect of this particular album is the fact that this is when Tom Araya starts to add more dynamics to his vocals. He he sings parts. He varies up how he does his shouting. Um, Now, there is no high-pitched stuff on this album, but um, it's almost like every aspect of this album is more mature. Everyone's performances, everything just seems like a band that is has settled into their grooves so well and now they've just they they just know how to fucking do it. Um so um obviously there are a lot of standout tracks south of heaven being one of them but also, you know, mandatory suicide is oh. a fucking killer song. Hell yeah. Um and and uh sure there are a few that I don't think hit the marks as well as others do and that's that's probably why it's here at number 3. But One that I hear people talk shit about that is actually one of my favorites is Dissident Aggressor, which (laughs) is the most, it's the most not Slayer sounding song on the album. It is a true oddball on the album, but I think it's fucking great. And it's one of those songs that comes on and I'm just like, this is great. I I love that they put this here and I don't know. It just feels perfect in the album. Um, And then obviously, you know, it wraps up with Spill the Blood, um, which is, a great song, but it is a gripe of mine that Spill the Blood to me isn't the best album closer, especially when you just followed Rain and Blood, which has one of the best album closers on it. Yeah. So it is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, it could have been a better song at the end. But overall, I think that even though we you you hear people talk about South of Heaven as a classic Slayer album, I think it still doesn't get the love that it deserves. I think it's a little bit underrated i totally Um, agree and i think i I do hear people talk about how it's not as good because uh, of the slower tempos but we we talked about this before on the last episode when they slow things down it makes those fast parts really pop and really they're really effective um and the same it's vice versa the fast parts make those slow parts really shine And I feel like at this point, this is when they were truly mastering what it was to write a Slayer song, no matter what the tempo was, they now knew how to do it. And so, um, yeah, I don't have much more I can add. Um, I feel like we'll get way more in depth with you as we normally do. So, uh, yeah, my number three is South of heaven. And, uh, it's one of those albums that, you know, it's, it's hard to tell somebody where to start with Slayer. And usually I would say just, you know, start with rain and blood and then move I'm not, you know, move on, move forward. Because I do think that after Rain and Blood, you get to hear the growth of Slayer while still making kick-ass music.
1: Hell yeah. You know, and that's a really good segue because my number two pick is South of Heaven. Nice. Now, something that would be important to um, state here is that this was for the longest time my favorite Slayer album. This would have been number one had I not analyzed it comp- and compared it to what eventually would become number one. Which uh, obviously we've narrowed it down. We know what it <laughs> is. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say <laughs> it.
0: <but laughs> somebody may um, have just joined the podcast right here, and
1: they have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that they slowed down on this album. It was. It was actually a tradition of mine during high school that um, I would usher in the new year with this album and I would try and time it so that um, the intro to South of Heaven would be so perfectly timed that when, when shit gets real and when it goes... (laughs) <laughs> would, would come in, like, right when it strikes midnight.
0: That's that's a hell of a tradition. I, I would, I would yeah. like to do that myself. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I, I think I did it for about three years straight, probably from about, like, t- either 2010 or 2011 to about 13 or 14. And I just remember that being such a defining... Event during that time. It was like, oh shit, new year, gotta put on South of Heaven. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> and um, th- this would have been my top pick until I made this list and really gave it some thought. But anyway, the title track right off the bat is is already a massive departure from the speed of Rain and Blood. And that awesome intro. I the the slower sinister sound that slayer has and can break out in the best slow moments they have i think south of heaven is the bar that opening track is how to how to give the listener goosebumps at the start of a record that one always never fails to you know I know it's an album, and I know it can't hurt me, but every <laughs> every single time I listen to that intro, I get kind of scared, because I'm thinking, oh, shit, this album's called Self of Heaven, and where I'm going, it ain't good, you know? <laughs> and, it's, and it's just that, oh, I, I cannot put into words the feeling I get whenever I hear that intro, because I just think... Oh shit. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like it's almost I've always envisioned it as almost like a roller coaster. And not in the speed department, but that gradually increasing thing. It's almost like you're slowly being taken up to the peak. And then when everyone comes in with that. Oh, it's like going right over that and being thrown into this pit.
0: I mean, just... I mean, you, you, somebody could argue, I don't know. Like there's a part of me that I could, I could hold that song as more iconic with Slayer than even Rain, raining blood. Um, yeah, because it does, it's a vibe and, a, and it's a thing. It's a Slayer thing. Like, I don't know. They had that way of crafting those, those riffs that sounded really evil like oh shit some shit's about to go down and Mm -hmm. and um there's something to be said about that slowing it down made makes it seem more eerie and yeah yeah
1: and that's that's you know echoed by the production choices they made on this album it's like you said it it's it retains that punch but it's got more space to play with yeah because with the slower tempos you know, the more dry sound isn't going to be as effective. So you need to create a, you need to create a bit of a larger space to play around with. Because you know, I would liken it to, um, it's almost like rain and blood would be like landing on the beaches of Normandy. You know, you're already being shot at right right off the bat. Whereas with South of Heaven, you're in this, you know kind of really dark, evil area being hunted by something.
0: It's, it's almost like, like a lot, kind of to, to, to piggyback off what you're saying, it's like if, if you were choosing ways to die, <laughs> rain and blood is kind of like a horrific car accident where you're, you're, it's like your world is just turned on its ass and everything is upside down and, and it happens yeah. in a flash. And then south of heaven is like being buried alive. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's like <dude.
1: laughs> you hit you, you literally hit the nail on the head <laughs> that is that is the best analogy i've heard for the the vibes that slayer slayer can create yeah and i th- and i think um there really is something to be said for the way that slayer chooses to open their records because you get one or the other you know there is no in between you either get hit in the face or scared shitless yeah you know and it's one of the two and i hella waits kind of opens the same way with that um like slowly um fading in that like join us kind of thing and then then it gets gets going but i just love the fact that this opening track i love that we're elaborating and this is only the first track like this is <laughs> this is how much i love this this record and it pained me to have to put it in second but you know after after some evaluation i i had to put the other one above it
0: we could probably just agree that this is a three part number one
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> but yeah oh, it's, it, it's just so good and then
1: when track one finishes they let the guitar feedback ring out and then it fades into one of the faster tracks on the record, silent scream. And, ah, oh, that really hits you with the double kick going on. And it's people always slag this album off for being too slow. I feel like lack a certain maturity in, in understanding music <laughs>
0: yeah. because,
1: because like, yeah, if you don't like, slower that's fine if you come to a thrash band wanting speed i understand that completely but just sit back with this album for a moment and, and let it take you somewhere because it yeah even in the slower parts it it's i i struggle to think how anyone would not be blown away by this album
0: <laughs> well if you i mean even if you look yeah. if you look at any of the thrash bands from the 80s not just the big four but any of them they had slower elements on certain albums. Sometimes an entire album was a slower turn. And Definitely. I think the idea of thrash metal needing to be fast and brutal all the time is, uh, to use. Don't I'm not trying to disparage, to disparage a uh, generation, but it seems like a millennial thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where it's like all of a sudden it's like oh, the the people who weren't there seem to think that, oh no, thrash is always, you're supposed to just play fast and aggressive all the time. I'm all like, well, none of the bands did. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. And I I think, you know, I think what they did with South of Heaven with this album is they wanted to avoid becoming a cliche, you
0: know,
1: which, you know, that they aren't, but, you know, Slayer is the first band people reach for when people say really really fast metal, yeah. you know, because because they really did perfect the frantic um, pace of that whole skank beat kind of thing. But this album, it's not so much a rejection of that as it is a step back, evaluating other vibes. And you know, obviously with Silent Scream, it's a, it's quite a quick song for this album, very quick actually. You know, and then Live Undead has a sinister menacing slow pace much like track one you know with that um like that's really sitting there on on that slow beat and it's really letting everything breathe and i feel like that sounds more evil than the fast stuff because you know I feel like the fast stuff is like um, actually doing the killing while the slow shit is just tormenting whoever's getting
0: it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. To To be fair though, like, like with fast riffs with fast, really cool riffs. Yeah. I, even if it's a song that's fast and the riff is played with a fast beat, if somewhere in the song they don't slow the beat down but still play the riff the same way, I feel like I've been shortchanged. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, yeah, you need you need to you need half-time to halftime the beat but keep the riff going because that's how you really milk a badass riff to me. It's it's so Slayer knew how to do that a lot of the times too
1: there's a meme i saw on like a metal memes page or something and it summed that up perfectly and it just had this photo of that of of some guy doing like a real frowny <clears throat> face like and and it was um it was captioned with when the band stops playing and brings the meaty riff back but slower yeah and it, and it was just that Ooh, kind of face going on.
0: <laughs> yep, that's I'm, I'm, that's, that's that, there's something to be said about a, a a good breakdown or a good midsection, or just in the case of some songs like the one we're talking about, where you you have a great riff, but you don't kill it with a drum beat that plays exactly along with how the with the riff rhythm. Yeah, so, yeah,
1: exactly. You know it's it's good to it's good to vary tempo. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's like a dynamic thing that some, you know, thrash bands tend to forget about sometimes. Is mm-hmm. is that it doesn't need to be all the time. You know, it's I just love when bands that are known for being fast play slow shit and slay it. Yep. Which is probably why they're called Slayer, because that's what they do. Yeah, and then behind the crooked cross um, try saying that really fast behind the crooked cross behind
0: the crooked cross yeah it is it's a little bit of a tongue twister
1: <laughs> yeah behind the crooked, <laughs> behind, <laughs> behind the kaka for cocoa puffs um, <laughs> has a uh, catchy chuggy um, feel I think I is that song down picks
0: or is that alternate? I can't remember. I, I, that, I, It has to be downpicked. Um, yeah. I'd, have to, I'd have to hear it right now, but it, I, it, it just feels to me like it, it's a downpicked song.
1: Yeah, it's, I just fucking love it when stuff like that happens, you know, when you break out the downpicks. So good. Premium chugging. I love it very much. Um, Mandatory Suicide, as you touched on previously. Yeah. One of my favorite Slayer tracks. This has everything I love in a Slayer song. And that, like, kind of... Um, fucking like reflective war poetry thing at the end where he, Tom's just like reciting the lyrics over the top of this chaos at the end it, ju- it just really conjures up that um, feeling of you know going over the top of a trench it really has that you know scary I'm going to die feeling <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and it's I think this is one of those albums that really has the power to scare you shitless. If you put yourself in the right mindset,
0: (laughs) absolutely.
1: And, um, then the song now I have a little, um, interesting tidbit about, um, the songs ghost of war and read between the lies. Now what I'll say about ghost of war, it has an awesome triplet breakdown in the middle. Again, another one of those, this is a very fast song up until that point. Yeah. But, that um really makes the song that much meatier and satisfying to listen to because you you know that you're getting everything you want and then something that i always thought was odd was that these two songs tracks six and seven they're paired right next to each other they both have a very similar riff in them and i don't know if you've noticed this yeah but you know you know the bit where it goes it does it in a slightly different key slightly differently as like the main riff in the next one and i always thought was that like a recycled riff and they just couldn't be bothered to hide it
0: <laughs> it it uh I I I don't know. For some reason, in, in in listening to the album, it almost feels like it's the it's the what do you call that um uh, a a reemergence of a theme or you know when like in, like in classical music a light um, motif. But it, it's, it's one of those things where like I don't know if that was their intention, but it never came across to me as um the same. It almost felt like it was just yeah, sort I... of a similar vibe, but um. Now that you're mentioning it, I bet if I went back and listened to it, I could pick it out and be like, ah, okay, I see what they did there. They had two different versions of a similar riff and threw them in two different songs.
1: <laughs> and put them right next to each other, shamelessly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I do love this album. Don't get me wrong, that's that's not me dogging it in any way. It's, it's just that was a weird little thing I noticed, and um, it's always been on my mind whenever I hit that part of the album. But yeah, and then you've got a song like Cleanse the Soul. Cleanse the Soul is, is, I was hazard to say it's the fastest song on the album. It's like probably the closest thing to the previous record on here. Um, And then you've got the Judas Priest cover, Dissident Aggressor. And again, like you say, it's a side of Slayer we don't see very often. And it it kind of harkens back to the... um, Feeling you kind of get from songs like "The Antichrist" from their first album, where it has that um, more of a classic late seventies, early eighties metal kind of feel
0: to it, I, or at least, it, at least to me. I don't know why it feels perfect on the album, though. It's just yeah, it, 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 like it like it's it, it's clearly the, the oddball, but it, I don't know why. It always just strikes me as that, like I, it, it doesn't even register as a cover anymore
1: yeah (laughs) i remember when i first heard it i did register it it's like i didn't i didn't know it was a cover until i heard the judas priest version about a year later and i always just thought was was this an attempt to you know was this an experiment on this kind of experimental album because like i know that the song structures and stuff and and things are very not so much straightforward but you know it's it's got a it's got a structure the songs are songs um but it's like you say it it does stand out but fits in the weirdest way
0: yeah
1: and then finally closing out with um spill the blood um i feel like this song in the riff has a similar element to the first track. So it's almost kind of like that book ending feel. Um, you got like South of Heaven. And then uh, the riff in Spill the Blood is. So it's still got that kind of descending evil kind of thing going on. Yeah. And you know, I, I've always liked "Spill the Blood," but I do, I do get what you mean um, with it not being the strongest album closer. I, I do get that. Um, I think this album could have benefited from perhaps like a very fast one to kind of surprise you at the end. Um, but I, I think this here is is a as an amazing record and. and it is a perfect Slayer album to me, and that's why it's in the top th- top three zone. And it, it used to be my number one, but it got beat by one more record only as of recently. So I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna pass this on over to you.
0: Cool. Uh, so um, it, it was beaten out by my number two, <laughs> which is uh, Seasons in the Abyss from 1990. Ooh. Which is actually the first Slayer album I ever owned, um, and really my is I, I heard Slayer songs prior to this album, but the uh, thing that really brought me on board with the band was seeing the video for War Ensemble on MTV on on Headbangers Ball. Um, that yeah. song is just fucking amazing, and um, yeah it it pretty much just drove me to the record store on its own fumes to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to buy the album. And so, um, it has a special place in my heart because it is the one that I've had the most time with. And, um, to me, it's, it's the best example of them having a varied kind of sound on their album where you get different kinds of songs and shit. Um, and it's, um, produced by Rick Rubin and Andy Wallace. And Andy Wallace is one of those names where you see his name involved with albums in the late 80s and early 90s, and pretty much you can you can be assured that there's some quality production going on yeah. there. Um, the dude fucking ruled, and um, it sounds good. The, whole, the album sounds really good. This is the one that I would put neck and neck with South of Heaven for the best-sounding uh slayer album but this yeah. one does have a lot of those moments where the bass guitar gets swallowed up by everything else and so that's probably why i would consider uh, seasons a little i mean uh, south of heaven a little bit better but both sound really fucking good and um i really do think that this album is an improvement from south of heaven when it comes to songwriting and overall presentation of songs i I just, it just feels like a tightly packed album, even though it's not short and doesn't have a bunch of short songs. Like it has that same urgency and no bullshit quality that rain and blood had without just being fast and in your face all the fucking time.
1: Um,
0: and, and, and once again, it's, it's classic era Slayer. Um, and then, Really, the only thing that keeps this album, well, the big thing that keeps it from being number one for me, even though I love it so much, is the fact that there are songs on the second half that I think are weaker than the first half of the album. I think the first half of the album is pretty fucking tight. And then it gets a little bit sort of, okay, these are good songs. But, you know, once you get to the title track, it really sort of shines a light on like oh the few songs before this were just kind of okay and now Seasons in the Abyss is this big ass amazing yeah. song once again another slower tempo song and a song where Tom Araya is singing melodically over it and really I, I understand you know where Slayer went after this album and why they decided to keep things brutal all the time but I really do wish that they had done more songs like Seasons in the Abyss I, I, because I feel like they they pretty much nailed it when it comes to that sort of melodic mid-tempo style that they did. Yeah. Um and it's it's fucking great and it's 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 a, it's an album that just like South of Heaven sounds like it's from a mature band with a lot of confidence who just know exactly what they're fucking doing. And it was the last one with uh with dave lombardo for what did we just what did we say last time it was like 15 years or something before he came Six, back
1: 16 yeah well, it was uh, between um, between recordings
0: yeah between recordings and um yeah it's just it's just one of those things where you could draw the line here and say this is the end of the classic slayer albums and i wouldn't argue at all um i i don't even argue with people that say that they don't like any slayer albums after seasons in the abyss and i'm like I I guess I totally get it because they um, at this point, they didn't have a lot further to go with what they were doing. they had kind of mastered it. They'd sort of figured out, we know how to be Slayer. We know how to do all these different style Slayer songs. And we know, I don't know. It just feels like the, the most, uh... when it comes to 1990, 1990 had a whole lot of fucking really confident sounding metal albums made. Yeah. And Seasons in the Abyss just stands up there with those where it's just you you can't fuck with it. It's it's a fucking classic. So yeah, my number 2, Seasons in the Abyss.
1: Awesome, which leads me perfectly into my number 1. Yes, which is Seasons in the Abyss. You know, this these last two albums were incredibly hard for me to place. Same here. Because I really I I think boiling it down, I had to really, really nitpick the albums to really find a definitive winner. Uh Um, But I came to the conclusion of Seasons in the Abyss as it feels like the best qualities of both the previous records in one place. It has its fast moments and it has its slow moments and both are done exceptionally well you know um this this album really is the middle ground between its two predecessors yeah um most of this album i did notice is um like i suppose this could apply to a lot of slayer albums though most of this album is like in the same key but there's enough variation in tempo and feel combined with quality songwriting that it doesn't bother me. I I think in college someone said to me something along the lines of like, make sure you don't write all of your songs in like E minor. And it was like, (laughs)
0: you
1: know, and I, and I ruminated on that for years and I was like, shit, so many of, so many of my um, songs, you know, and, and that's, that's why I started experimenting with down tuning because it was the only way to get so many of my songs to sound like they were in different keys by just (laughs) changing the tunings really. But, um, you know, it's, it's just such a good, um, thrash album, you know, um, war ensemble, the furious opening track. Um, I actually first heard war ensemble on guitar hero Metallica there. They were a guest
0: artist on that game. Hey, that's a video game that I've played. <laughs> really? Yeah, you, you I go I don't. I don't have it anymore. But I had it on. Was it on the Wii? I don't remember. Is this is a long? This is right oh, after you the, it on the Wii. The, I don't now. But this was um, right after it came out. Um. So I don't know yeah. what year this was. Two thousand nine or ten or something like that. Um, I just thought
1: I just thought it was so cool to have a video game where I could play as my favorite band.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I'm such a Metallica nerd that I I had to get it and play it, and I did. And and I didn't master it or anything, but I but I had I had a good time with it. But never mind, we're talking about Slayer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, War um, Ensemble, Furious, awesome song, Blood Red, track two. Is the perfect combination of evil and catchy. It's got a real swagger. Um, Spirit in Black. Now, Spirit in Black are, has what I believe to be the best Slayer solo because it actually feels like they thought about what was going there because like a lot of... <laughs> A lot of slayer solos do tend to strike me as um hey I'm going to play a bunch of uh random notes <laughs> at a really fast tempo uh in this spot. Now I know that doesn't apply to War Slayer solos and I just always felt like in the lead department slayer weren't as strong as their peers for writing memorable stuff. It's almost like Slayer solos were a necessity as like, uh, we need this level of chaos to bring a certain feeling to the rest of the song. And I get that. But I, feel I, feel like it,
0: I feel like it was a choice because in, in talking about this album, there, there's a solo in seasons in the abyss. That's fucking great. And it's a melodic yes. solo that's written to go with the notes and, um, it sounds great. So obviously they could do it. I guess they were just like, that's not our yeah. thing for the most part.
1: Yeah. I th- I think, you know, right from the get-go, so many, so many Slayer solos, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> or, like, or in, or in some of them, they just make the, the guitar do like a,
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 and it's like, I just love it when Slayer, when like on the rare occasion, they break out something really melodic. And that that bit in Spirit in Black where it goes like like yeah. that, yeah. I just oh that really took me off guard the first time I heard it because I was like, I'm listening to Slayer and I can tell what's going on in the solo, and I kind of had to do a double take um, because like a characteristic of Slayer's leads is that it is like a wall of notes. It is like. We've managed to fit like a thousand notes into like a eight second period. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't take away f- from you know, their their feel. But um, then when you get to Expendable Youth, that's another uh, Goosebump song for me. Uh, that like thing at the beginning had that real like march rhythm to it and it yeah. just sounded so evil and so menacing um dead skin mask gave me um proper like south of heaven vibes it it's had that same kind of, yeah and like especially the like kid at the end that's like i don't want to play anymore mr gain and i'm like oh my god yeah (laughs) this is fucked you know the first time i heard that i was i was actually you know i I think this album on the flip side of south of heaven scared me this one creeped me out in like the other kind of feeling a little bit dirty after hearing that one because it's like Oh, that made me that made me uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that, it's an awesome now that song. you're
0: now that you're running through all of them like it it it's important to point out that all five of those songs have different vibes. Yes. Like it's each one has a, a different kind of rhythm, a different kind of approach to what they're doing. Um it's literally they take you on this little journey by starting it yeah. off. Starting it off, you know, because this would be side A of the vinyl, so, you know, with war ensemble just in your face, aggressive and fast, and then Dead Skin Mask is slowing it down, being really creepy. Um, it's almost just like all of the things that you need. They just hit all the marks in those first five songs. Yeah,
1: and, the, and that, like, dance with the dead in my dreams. It, yeah. it's got to be, like, one of the coolest things like one of the coolest vocal moments also
0: the ending of that song where they they leave the feedback going with the note at the end of it yeah i'm always like that is a creepy ass way to end that song where it just himself yeah okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then like you you get to the point in the album uh where they're like okay we need to break out we need to break out another quick one and they do um hallowed point which i think yeah, it's the fastest track since the opening song and, you know, provides a gear change from the more mid-pace, slower stuff in between. And then that's juxtaposed once again by um, Skeletons of Society, which has that um, catchy slow feel, like da 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 Yeah. And I, I think, you know, as a vocalist, you know... Tom does shine on this one with his like kind of gravelly, but more melodic um, parts on this because the parts where he does sing, he adds a real unnerving, unhinged element to it all.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that I feel like he doesn't get enough credit. Like even, even on the last album and on the last tour, he sounds fucking great. He yeah. he brings the Tom Mariah shit, and whatever it is he's singing, it sounds believable. Like he yeah. he knows how to deliver those lyrics and those vocals, and even when he's being melodic, it doesn't sound like he's like it's a weak ass part or anything. It still yeah. sounds either either kind of aggressive or kind of creepy or whatever vibe he's going for. Um, and so, yeah, and he, he does it on, on this album a lot.
1: And, you know, the way he delivers his vocals, I'm amazed the man can still speak, you know, with the, with the yells and shit that, you know, especially he would pick up on following like divine intervention and stuff like that. That's when he really went, he went into like almost the Phil Anselmo arena of just yelling, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah then which which one was i at sorry i was at skeletons of society temptation or not temptation oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah i'm I'm on temptation now okay yeah and it's got one of the sickest breakdowns in metal ever and i ignored this track for too damn long i i i i I do like these songs you know as of re-listening to them i i know that they aren't the most memorable but in the context of the album, they, they certainly deliver.
0: Yeah. I think with, with this second half of the album, I think it suffers from the fact that it does feel like they're trying to do the same thing all over again with different tracks. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably the the reason why I feel like some of them are a little bit weaker in the second half.
1: Yeah. And then you've got, um, born of fire, which is your standard Slayer track. You know, it's just, it's just fast as fuck. And then, they close it with the title track and one of the best metal songs of all time. The open, the opening fills over the clean section, get a nice little evil grin out of me every time. You know, I remember the first time I ever heard that, like, um, ridiculously fast fill that, um, Dave Lombardo manages to pull off, but it it doesn't pull away from the song. Like any other drummer in any other band over that, um, over that, like, if anyone else broke out that kind of drum fill, they'd be like, whoa, you're overplaying it there. Yeah. But Dave manages to pull it off in this like, um, flawlessly,
0: um, tight, ridiculously fast way. He, he he's one of those drummers. That I feel like occasionally he does show off, but I feel like he does it in a very tasteful way.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know? he he picks. It, he definitely picks his moments, you know. And I think a lot of a lot of Slayer isn't necessarily rhythmically challenging so much as it is physically demanding. You know, that, that, you know. It's, a lot of what Dave Lombardo plays is straight 4 4, but it's the speed at which he does it yeah. that, you know, playing like 240 BPM, like just like nearly all the time. Yeah, I know they have other songs, but like on an album like Rain and Blood, for example, or where they've got like a bunch of fast tracks in a row. It it is it is mind-blowing to see the man in action.
0: Yeah, and they do. I have heard it said many times, you, um, a band is only as good as their drummer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I guess people could make uh, arguments about Metallica when I bring that up, so never mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, overall, this album has something for every Slayer fan, which is why it makes it makes it my pick for the number one spot
0: and that is my number one and i i don't disagree with any of that that's a it's a amazing album and i i went through what you went through where i really was having to nitpick and look at these three albums from different angles to kind of figure out well where where should it go and yeah I, and unfortunately in this case like it's no surprise that that rain and blood is uh, my number one because I think it's a lot of people's number ones, some people's number one metal album period. Um, Yeah. So I I do run into this a lot where I, I find that sometimes iconic albums are iconic albums for a reason. Sometimes albums get a little bit too much credit. There's a lot of those. We could do a top 10 overrated (laughs) metal albums, but um, I don't think rain and blood is one of them. So so this came out in 86 and it's literally one year after Hella Awaits*. So they had already yes. made the shift to where they have solidified who they are as a band. I think at that point, if you knew you were buying a Slayer album, you were already into the Slayer sound. And um, this one's the first one produced by Rick Rubin. And it, yeah. it has that crazy in your face, almost dry it's not totally dry but it's so pummeling in the way that it's produced that it just sounds like it's bursting out of your fucking headphones or your speakers when you listen to it yeah and it's just got classic song after classic song like i i put i put down some notes and eventually my notes were me just writing the titles of songs with exclamation points next to them. <laughs> so, so I wrote like angel of death. And then I wrote peace by Piece," necrophobic altar of sacrifice, Jesus saves. It was just, it's just that on my notes. It, it's because those songs are just so fucking good. Each one, when it starts, I'm just like, ah, shit. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an album. I, I often, um, reference songs, that are so fucking good that you have to crank it up when it comes on. This is an entire album of those. Um, yeah, and the obviously, you know, this is the the most brief and urgent and shortest album. You know, the songs are short for the most part. Overall, like when you think about when this album came out, so this is 1986, and he, every band from the Big Four put out an album in 1986. And to me, each one of them is a band-defining album. You know, Master of Puppets, Peace Sells, But Who's Buying, Among the Living, and and this one, and Rain and Blood. All of them, that's really the point. Whether you want to argue it's their best albums or not, it seems like the point where those bands were literally like, yeah, we're thrash metal bands, but we we are doing our own thing. And that's a thing that I think is lost with a lot of thrash bands today is that everyone wants to do the same shit. And it's like, yeah. no, no. Because the thing that made these bands memorable and made them the big fucking four is the fact that they, they made themselves their own entities. Like, you, you, you won't mistake a Slayer song for an Anthrax song. There's no fucking way. And some you know, would argue that, that that's because Slayer's much better. But I would disagree <laughs> that is for a that is for a different uh, different podcast. But um, so this album is like a statement from Slayer. It's 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 like a statement of brutality. They wanted to make the most aggressive in and out. We're gonna fuck your world up and get the fuck out as quickly as possible. Kind of statement, and and they fucking nailed it. And it's just yeah. one of those things where if somebody says this is the best thrash metal of all time, I'm not going to argue with them at all because I'm like, I totally get it. And so you it's have... It's you a have, landmark. Yeah, you have a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype behind this album, but I do think that it's totally warranted. I think that they earned it. And so um the fact that it's the definitive Slayer album, you could say it's the definitive Slayer album, the fact that you have that on top of it, but just... I don't know, because obviously I, I, I was talking about songs, you know, Raining Blood is an iconic song. And um, just the fact that it's such a no bullshit album. But on top of that, with its iconic status, it's like one of those things where if you were going to, to teach an album or teach an album, teach a class on, yeah. on thrash metal, and you had to have a chapter that included one Slayer album, you would include this album. I, it's, it's the only Slayer album to me that earns the word essential. Like, if you're into metal and you're into thrash metal and you don't own Rain and Blood, I feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is an essential album. Here's here, here
1: is, here is my, um, my little tidbit. I can confirm... That is the first Slayer album I, I I ever bought because you know it it it's an icon and it's and it is essential like you say it, it was it was the gateway for me to discover all of the other Slayer albums yeah and um the the things it manages to pull off in such a short time frame is astonishing
0: yeah and the fact that an album from 1986 still sounds so aggressive and heavy today is also something that sets it apart. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know. Once I added up all the positives for this album and just the fact that sometimes the overwhelming, um, shadow of an album over a genre, it, it, it you just have, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore yeah. how important this album is along with it. Just being utterly enjoyable the whole fucking way through. Um, so it, it, it isn't, yeah, there's there are other th- albums that do th- have qualities that I think are better than some of the things on Rain and Blood, but as a complete package I do think that Rain and Blood is one of those things where the the strength of the album actually is it's beyond Slayer. It's almost like it's so it's yeah. so, it's so important it doesn't even register as a Slayer album anymore. It's just <laughs> this really important metal album. Um, a really, uh, an interesting fact about this album that I always like to talk about is that, um, on, I have a, a vinyl version and I don't know, I don't know about repressings of the vinyl. I don't know. My, I have a copy from 1986 and the end of raining blood has a locked groove at the end of the record. Do you, do you know what that means when a record has a locked groove?
1: Yeah. When it's yeah. stuck on, on so, repeat.
0: So you hear the storm sound. And it just repeats. It doesn't ever end. So if you're not stopping your record, you just keep hearing like forever. It's never it never ends.
1: That's fucking cool. And
0: I always thought that like, it's so crazy. That's like uh, this 29 minute album or 28 minutes, I think is what it is. Um it just gets in your face and pummels you and then fucks off. But the album refuses to go away. It's just like, (laughs) it's just like if you, if you fell asleep during this thing, when you're playing it on vinyl, you were going to wake up with a storm still happening. It's it, it leaves behind this storm cloud that never goes away. So anyway. it's, funny to
1: th- it's funny to think about as well you know you have those like relaxation CDs where you can buy like one hour of rainstorm it's so, <laughs> you know it's so weird to think that you could actually do that with a Slayer album you yeah. could just chop off like the last part of rain and blood repackage that as like a relaxation tape.
0: (laughs) It's a two in one. You get a badass thrash metal album followed by a relaxation nature sounds album. (laughs) So anyway, I don't have much more to add. We've, we've, we covered this album a lot and it's just one of those things where I couldn't deny, um, the weight of the album and its classic status is, uh, well-deserved. So that's why my number one is rain and blood. Awesome. Fair enough. You know, I I
1: I straight up said to myself at the beginning, you can't put Rain and Blood any lower than um, any lower than three because I just thought, and, and this is not from like you know social pressure or anything like that, or you know having to have some kind of credibility. No, it really is just such a fucking good album that it is. It holds up to its icon status. Yeah, it's it's just the. Me, personally, I like the slower side of Slayer, so that's why South of Heaven and Seasons in
0: the Abyss beat it out to the um, 2 and one spots, There's definitely more of a variety on those albums. I'll give, I'll give them that.
1: Yeah, and, and and I think it's just the, the variation in, in Lives Above All Else is, is what um, won those two records for me above Rain and Blood. But those, I think... If I've gathered anything from this particular um, two-parter of Cranked and Ranked is that Hella Waits is hell, hella unrate, underrated, guys. Yeah. Holy shit. Hella Waits is so fucking good. Like, and if it wasn't for the sheer fact that these top three albums were so good, Hella Waits would have been fucking higher yeah you know what an awesome album and i feel disgusted with myself that i allowed myself to forget (laughs) about this record for so long and i i have a really cool um vinyl of it like a a yellow and red pressing of of the vinyl oh cool
0: and um i'm definitely gonna break that one out at some point this week i feel like maybe we can just agree that our our we had a three part number one followed by Hello Waits at number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a fair fair assessment. <laughs> so but Yeah, uh, awesome. All right. Well there there you have it. Um this one this one passed the two hour mark, I believe. Um yeah, this, so this was you,
1: a big boy.
0: If you uh if you hung out for this long, thank you. And we hope you enjoyed it. We're we're definitely gonna get around to doing other thrash metal bands, other heavy bands as well but um i have a feeling we're going to try to vary things up on the next one so we'll see how that goes um once again if you're um listening to this on youtube uh first make sure that you go and subscribe to eddie sparks um s-p-a-r-x-x um on youtube and and uh watch some of his videos if you're not subscribed to me um do it right now um, but yeah, put some comments down below, like, subscribe. Um, if you're into listening to podcasts as podcasts on the go, we are on podcast everywhere. You can get a podcast. You can get this. It's under old head. Um, the cranked and ranked episodes are there. So, uh, yeah, with, uh, uh, with all that thrown out there. Um, yeah, once again, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back uh, probably next week with another one. And so, on that note, you want to take us out, Eddie? Later, dude.